Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, listener. Oh, hi again. Second time this week. Part two of Three in a Bar with John Natchez and... Thanks for coming back for more. Yeah. Obviously enjoyed the first one. We thought with yeah, this Yeah, well, one, he's great, isn't he? He was so good, wasn't it? Mm. We didn't want to deprive the general listener of such great stuff. No, quite. There was so nothing we could leave out. out. There was, no. It was all good. So, yeah. But this because we've uh, chopped it, literally chopped it in half, we're sort of moving chronologically through this so you'll actually you will get a proper stream of thought unlike you know some of our patreon e- episodes which are great but they tend to jump around a bit They're very good <laughs> they are they are very good they might jump They're a like bit like a loaf of bread that's made up from everything <laughs> off the, the bakery floor <laughs> just whatever's left oh i love those loaves of bread those ones oh, oh love they're lovely aren't they them scraggy ones yeah <laughs> <laughs> This is much classier than that. This is like a well-baked sourdough loaf, isn't it? It is. It's very nice. Yeah. yeah love, lovely. It's been well uh, rested bench <laughs> on the bench rest. Bench rest. <laughs> it's been proving. Since Monday. It's had a good 36 hours in the fridge. Yeah. And the oven is on, ready to go in. Great. I don't really know if that is if that, that analogy the works. listener. Are they the, the oven? Listener. Get in the Dutch oven, listener. We've made it warm for you. Oh, God. It's very I feel inviting. like we're drifting into a dodgy path here. <laughs> yeah, this has gone weird. Well, you, you know who John Natchez is because you listened to the first part. I'd say if, if you haven't listened to the first part, go back, listen to part one. Yeah, do that. And um, Otherwise, have a guess. When you start listening, we won't tell you anything about him now. Just see what you make of it and see what you can work out from what he says. I think you'll get the gist. We get the gist. Um, We're going to carry on. He's talking about playing with the war on drugs. That's right. He is. So this is more John Natchez. Are you involved in the songwriting of that stuff? I'm involved in the making of the album, but not the songwriting. I mean, Adam is really the heart of the project. It's his thing. We, the rest of us always joke that like in 10 years, he's going to be off doing something else. And the rest of us are going to be like touring dinky state fairs with another lead singer as like the war on drugs (laughs) experience or something, you know, like (laughs) Uh, it's his thing. And and like the way the creative process works, like none of us are contributing lyrics or chord changes. Well, I will say, so he's definitely bringing in the songs, but he's a wonderful and collaborative musician. It's sort of like, it's why he likes having this sort of stable of musicians he works with. Like, we spend a lot of time in the studio, and there's a lot of freedom within the studio. You know, he'll bring in the song, but then we'll play on it, and the song will take shape as people add their parts, and we always have... I mean, mean, he's guiding the process. Like, oh, I love that guitar lick. What if you do... You know, but like... So it's his vision, but there's a lot of room for 
uh, creative contribution, which is, as we talked about earlier, like my ideal situation yeah. in a lot of ways. So it's great. Well, you know, according to Pitchfork, they said that... <laughs> well, then they it must said, be true. It must be. I'm taking this as the truth. Um, that since you joined the band that it has added and aided the success and popularity, rising popularity. <laughs> so, you know, well done. Brilliant. Oh, well, it's, it's, I mean, that, let's yeah. be honest, it's just my good looks. I mean, that really... <laughs> there we are. There we are. We've, um, all, we've all pussyfooted around it, but there we are. Stop flirting, Verity. <laughs> I, do th- I do think that... Um, <laughs> so I, I'll point out, I'll also add, there's the band, which is Adam plus five of us. And we've been a consistent group since twenty end of 2013 is when we started rehearsing. But like when he works on albums, there's sort of a bigger stable of people he has yeah. always worked with um player i mean there's like a guitar player who's a good friend of mine mike block who he's been on more songs than i have on the records i think in in he, he's he's just never been part of the touring band for whatever reason um so there's like people like that who are sort of part of this extended family and the bands existed for long before i was involved i think 2007 or something is when he started officially playing shows as the war on drugs 2008 something like that but i and the stuff he made before i was involved is fantastic and robbie uh the keyboard player and dave the bass player um as well as to a degree charlie the drummer there's always a bunch of drummers on the recordings but the charlie's always been involved in some capacity but robbie and dave especially have always been in the band they make great stuff I, re- I like special stuff, but I do feel like this this sort of world, both the six piece as well as this extended universe of players who have kind of been around since uh, Lost in the Dream, the album that came out in 2014, um, has led to some really good stuff. It's a really, really cool group of people. And, and it's also like talking about palettes. I feel it's like a more defined palette that Adam really knows how to work with. That's been really cool. So yeah, I'm very proud of the music I've been a part of with this band. Very, very proud. Yeah, I remember the first time I listened to A Deeper Understanding. I was, I was working at the, the National Theatre. I lived about about 10, 10K from there. And uh, so I, I ran there one day. I set everything up and I stuck on that album. I hadn't heard it before. And it was great. It was a very good album to listen to when you're running. I, oh. I recommend it to anyone. Because oh. it, it, it's got because it's got a definite kind of sound world and you can really get, get lost in that kind of thing. And um, yeah, it's great. great I, I'll, I'll attribute that. So Adam is profoundly talented in a lot of ways, but of all the people I've ever worked with, he just has such amazing ears for curating that sonic world. I really feel like the album, I'm obviously biased, but I feel like the albums just have this really special and deep, deep sound that is just sort of like, it's that magic of sort of being a master of the studio where like on a very sort of immediate visceral level, it just hits your ears in a pleasant way. Like I am um, as a tangent, I remember there's a great documentary on the Muscle Shoals studio. Do you know that? I think it might just be no. called Muscle Shoals. Muscle Shoals is one of the great like soul studios in America. It's in this tiny town, Alabama. Fame Studios is the actual name of the studio, right? But it was just like, it's one of these things they had a house band, so many great records were made there. The, some of them, you know, Aretha Franklin's Respect and like all this stuff. Yeah. But they were, it's this like tiny room in this rural community in um, Alabama. And in that documentary, they're talking with, oh, I'm blanking on his name, but the president of Atlantic Records at the time, Jerry, I'm, I'm blanking on his name, whatever. But I remember he said something that stuck in my head, which is that he's like, he's like the art of recording 
is about, and the term he used, he's like, this is a term I came up with called the sonority of the record. And it's just like the way it hits your ears. It's this something that like music theory or the conventional way we think about music or songcraft, it doesn't really cover. It has to do with timbre, like I said, which is always an interest of mine. But the sonority of a record is the most important thing. And, and that he was saying that by way of why, by way of explaining why he would send send artists to Muscle Shoals to record. He's like, because the sonority of those records was just incredible. And I do think there's something, like Adam has that. Like he, and especially the last, the deeper understanding in the record now, he's been working a lot with this incredible engineer named Sean Everett. And those two together, like they just know how to make things that just hit the ear in this amazing, th- I think just amazing way. And then the sound of the record is also has this depth that you can just really, there are all these layers that you can get into. Again, mm. I'm biased. And like it, <laughs> at some point I have to stop talking about music that I'm a part of <laughs> in such glowing <laughs> terms. But like, but I really like, I feel like that's a strength of the band that it can, the strength of the records in particular that like you're saying, you can just like put them on and just sort of fall into them. Yeah. Like yeah. While you're running Tentry. or just in your car or listening in your room or whatever. I really, I uh, really love that. I remember hearing, well, when it got, when I was listening, when it got to Strangers Thing um, and the, the riff at the end of that, I remember the <laughs> I'm singing your own music to you, but um, uh, I remember it was all, almost like it was, it was a melody I've known my entire life. It felt so right, but not, not to say it was derivative or anything or, or it, it wasn't original. It was like, Oh yes, this is I've, I've I've arrived. It was a real, yeah, remember, remember a real moment listening to that. Oh, um, that's nice. So I guess it's just great, great melody writing. Yeah, he's uh, he's a really. But, but it's great the sonic writer. world as well. And, yeah, um, yeah, it's the tone. He's great at yeah. you know, guitar tone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you guys always um, intend to release the Live Drugs album last year, or was it slightly influenced by what went? To, you know. The good old Panny D, or was it yeah. um, <laughs> Panny D? I haven't heard that. Yeah, one. I heard, I, I heard I somebody. I think it was Joe Lysett said it, and I've mm-hmm. really Did stuck it? with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Panny D. <laughs> Since um, that well, stuck, I I don't have like this is the unofficial answer because I don't know the official story. My sense of it, I know that like we had been you know at Adam's direction obsessively recording live shows for a while. I think. I think we had, we, I know we had a Pro Tools rig running on the soundboard the entire last album cycle. And I, I think wow. we have like multi-tracks of everything. Like everything, like really nice Pro Tools HD versions of every, everything uh, from the last tour. And maybe even before that, don't quote me on that, but that's my right. sense of it. And I, so I knew that, I knew, but I knew this was happening and I knew like, we all knew there was going to be something live at some point. But I do think... That there was a sense, especially because, you know, our crew was completely out of work and stuff. There was a sense of like, let's release something. Because we were, I think the plan was Adam was going to try to finish the record that is still TBD and have it out by fall of last year. So he was going to, I I, I think if memory serves, it was like there was going to be the final mix like three weeks after the lock, first lockdown happened. I mean, and then of course that got canceled because of the lockdown and stuff. But yeah, and then it just became something to like, well, we have these, let's try to make an album out of them, I think. It was such a joyous thing though, because, you know, had that crowd sound and just the interaction and 
just that whole feel of a live gig. It's it's really wonderful to listen to. It was. It, I was really happy with how it came out. I, I'll be honest. It was bittersweet because it reminded me of like how much I missed it, like how fun it was, and how yeah. I, I was really like. Uh, but yeah, it, it was awesome to have something. It was awesome to have something out. Leading up to that, we did a little podcast. It was like a very niche thing, but we did like this podcast about the live album, like a four episode <gasps> thing. And we did all these, I was talking about learning the pandemic clap. It was because yeah. of like stuff like that. And, you know, I'd be where I'm sitting right now and we'd just sort of be taught. It was just nice uh, to talk to each other like um we all kind of live Quite. in different places yeah. now and just like i'm you know it's like one of it's one of the many special things about playing music the camaraderie and the community and just like seeing these people you create stuff with i mean we've all learned right how much we were taking for granted before but just like when you're on tour with these people they're your best friends and you see them every day and you make music with them and you hang out and it was just so nice talking to them you, you know and having the live album was a nice occasion to do that so I was wondering if we could talk about your sort of growing up and uh, and like how you got into music. And, oh. um, the sax was your first instrument, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my mom's origin story f- about me is that like apparently when I was like three or four, I, I, I will say I know I've always loved music. Like I've always loved listening to and dancing to music. Like there's something like deeply wired within me that just loves that. But like apparently when I was three or four, she put on a Beatles tape and like, according to her, I just started like bopping around the room and was like, what is this? I can't stop moving my feet. You know, like, yeah, like, <laughs> like <Yes>. that. <laughs> um, so that's how she always tells the story of like, oh, well, I always knew he was going to do something with music. He just loved it so much. But yeah. And then this very specifically dates me. But in fourth grade in my state, Massachusetts, there was a. I think it was statewide. It might have just been my town, but I think it's statewide. They do a program where they give free music lessons on any instrument of your choice. So like the the oh, the band instructors come by elementary schools and they play every instrument. They're like, this is a bassoon. This is a trumpet. You know, like, and like this piano, this is violin, whatever. And then you choose. And again, when I was saying this specifically dates me, late 80s, the saxophone was the coolest instrument. You know oh, what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like yeah. there's a very brief window when the saxophone was the coolest instrument. <laughs> but uh, I, it, I happened to be in fourth grade during that window. So my four best friends and I all chose saxophone. I was an unremarkable sax player, if I'm being honest. I always had like a good ear. Like I could always like pick out tune. I'd always be like picking out tunes on the sax and stuff, but I was never like the star. I was never like, Oh, this kid, we got to get him into the advanced. I've always been a terrible, terrible sight reader for whatever reason. And if I'm being honest, I was just like an unmotivated practicer. I wasn't, I didn't make that connection between loving music and loving to play music. Because especially when you're learning an instrument, right? It's so different, right? The music you love is so different from like some Irish folk song you're trying to sight read or something. It's like, it's, it's, but then, so continuing on in like seventh or eighth grade, which is like 12 years old, I switched, I like the public school teacher ended or whatever. And I started going to this other teacher who introduced me to improvisation. Like I, and again, it seems crazy, but I like, I don't think I knew that existed that idea of like, you can just invent something, you know, you can just like play for fun. And I do remember that was like the watershed moment for me. That was when I was like, I, I took to it like a, 
like a fish to water or whatever. Like, yeah. And that was when I started being like a quote unquote good sax player. I was never like the most technically proficient, but I always like could improvise. And, you know, this was like really basic stuff. You know, do you guys have Jamie Abersold? Yeah. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is like this, it was like Jamie Abersold tapes, you know, one, two. Yeah. One, One, two, two three, four. four, you know, and like, and, and, but I just like, I loved it. And I would just like run home from school and put on Jamie Abersall tapes and play, you know, all blues or whatever, you know, and it was just like, it was, it was, it, it that's when it became like a passion. To, and that's when I made the connection between loving music and playing music. And then, um, please interrupt me if I'm like going on too much. Oh, it's like, really interesting. Nice. Yeah, and, please do. And, and then the, the other real, the really important moment in my life as a musician, also embarrassing and also specifically dates me, is that I, in high school, I was in a ska band. Now, oh, okay, now I, this, you know, this is interesting because this is where you and Seb cross over. Because oh, Seb, you so well, also... See, I was also in a ska band. Uh, yeah, yeah. So see, every horn player. See, of course. Yeah. But, so I will point out, so this was actually in like more like the early 90s it was like 93 ska it was like pre-ska explosion or whatever okay and yeah. i had i had literally never heard of ska but in my high school actually so i'm from a, a town outside boston that's big enough that there are two high schools i went to newton north but apparently there was this band at newton south that needed a sax player and they had heard i was yeah. like a good sax player who could solo so i got this invite to try out for this newton south band I literally had no idea what the band was. I thought, I remember talking to a friend of mine at my high school. I was like, this band needs sex players. He's like, oh, I heard there's this good band at South called Non-Genius. They're kind of a punk band. I was like, cool, I'll be in a punk band. And then I showed up and they were like, no, we're a ska band. I'm like, what is that? You know? <laughs> yeah. And this was, again, this was like not, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like the music we were playing was pretty silly, but it was not that like late 90s, like neon pink suit, like real big fish, you know, it's not like yeah, it, yeah. It, it was again, it was silly and pretentious in another way, but it was sort of that more like this was when Scott was still kind of this like underground punk thing it was much closer to tone. And these guys especially were really yeah. into like traditional Jamaican Scott. So it was like yeah. more like this weird jazz. Everyone was like a jazz nerd, like jazz, weird Scott stuff. And I remember the lead singer who's, we're all still great friends, but he gave me a tape and again, this was when I was an alto sax player. I liked impro improvising. I liked soloing. And I took this tape home and I was like, oh, this, this is awesome. Like, I, I always loved soul music. I always loved, like, that was what I listened to. I was this profoundly weird and awkward kid, but who liked old jazz and old soul records, you know? And like, those old Jamaican records, are, I like that. I love the, the groove of it. I love the soloing of it, the melodies. And then, and why this band was really important to me is this was like, we were, this was again, Ska was like, there's a pre-internet era. Ska was like this weird underground thing. And we would tour. Like we would spend our, I was a sophomore in high school and we were spending our summers like touring around the country, like in a little van, literally booking shows ourselves because like we were on one compilation CD. And on that CD, on the inside in the insert were the, was the like the phone numbers and mailing addresses of all the other bands and we'd yeah. like call the bands, you know, and be like, hey, we're that band from Boston on the compilation with you. We want to like, can we, um, you know, we want to, we're booking a tour ourselves. You're in Nashville. Can you set up a show for us? And they'd be like, sure. You know what I mean? So it was just like that 
band experience was really the gateway drug for me. Cause like, yeah, from a young age, that band lasted a fair bit. I'm, I'm happy it ended when it did, you know, it was flamed out and over by the time I was 21, but it was this sort of arc. I st- joined when I was 15. We were a high school band. We kept doing into college. We got signed to a little label. We got signed to a slightly bigger label. We were, there was the ska boom of the late nineties. We thought we were going to be rock stars we draw. We took time off from school and all lived in a house together. We bought a little school bus that we co- we converted with like lofts and stuff. Oh, that's amazing! We, we went wow. to, we went to Europe <laughs> once, you know. But it was like this yeah. full arc that really was just like, oh my god, like you can do this, like you can play shows and make money. Like we were not making a lot of money by any stretch of the imagination, especially the, the economics of a ska band, there were 10 of us, which is absurd, <laughs> but like, Brilliant. but yeah, they, like, you know, just that thing of like, this is so amazing. This is so much fun. Just be traveling around the world with your best, around the country. And then yeah. like Europe once with like, with your best friends playing music for people every night and just having adventures, you know, it, it, it was just, it was just the best and to this day like the best stories of my life come from the those weird years you know traveling around in a you know our little you know homemade kind of uh school bus situation yeah. like people are always like oh you toured with david byrne what were you? i bet you have incredible stories and it's like it was awesome you know david is an amazing person annie saint vincent is amazing I, the music was incredible but, you know, our days were pretty civilized. Like, you know, you yeah. wake up, you go to a fun museum, you have a really nice meal, you play a show. Those are not, like, great stories. Whereas, like, <laughs> the stories from the ska band are like, yeah, and then we, like, the promoter jumped out the window instead of paying for uh, paying us. <laughs> and, like, we had to, like, sleep on in a basement. Like, you know, it was, it was also, and it was just, like, wild and, you know, fun. Did you play and, some crazy venues in Europe? Uh, you know, by the time we got over there, there really was a circuit. So I feel like, I I, I don't, it wasn't like, yeah, by the time we had money to get over to Europe, to have someone bring us to Europe, it was like, we were like kind of established and like, we're playing small clubs, but I forget the one in London, the underground. Underworld. Underworld. Camden Underworld. Camden Underworld. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, it's just fun, small venues, but nothing that, the true craziness had passed by them. That was when we thought we were going to actually be like, I mean, it was insane. So you were getting closer to museum trips and nice meals by that point. (laughs) Closer to museum. Well, I will say that's the other thing about this band. Yeah, we were a ska band. Like I said, I I can't really listen to those records anymore without cringing (laughs) deeply. But the dudes in the band, I mean, we're all still really close friends. They're all... They were all and are all still like fantastic artists and musicians. A lot of them still play professionally. A lot of the, a couple of them would be really good for your podcast, actually. Oh, um, great. Oh, great. Hit yeah, us up ba- with them. That's great. Well, no, the bass player, it's a, it, I feel like you should talk to the bass player in particular because he, he, he does a lot of, um, he plays in the Sesame Street band now and, um, oh and yeah, and, and does a lot of Broadway stuff. So he'd be good for your like, what, you know, because you yes. guys talk to a lot of West End musicians for it have like the, yeah. New York City sort of counterpoint Definitely. to that. Anyway, yeah, that'd be brilliant. But uh, that's, I, I, once again, I digress. Um, <laughs> no, I, just in terms of what I was about to say, like, it was a really interesting bunch of guys who were really, really interested in a wide array of music. And when I think of, in terms of, like I said, that band was really important to me, that the touring and 
the experience of that and really realizing you could do it and wanting to do that for the rest of my life. But also this sort of education of it, of just like being in the van every day and eventually the school bus and just like everyone would be putting on their music. And it was like, especially for a ska band, I think it was like a really eclectic range of influences. You know, a lot of, like I said, a lot of jazz, a lot of soul stuff. But then like one guy in the band was really into like very strange stuff like psychic TV and Eichstazend and Neubauten and all this sort of weird European music and like a lot of sun a lot of free jazz. I, I was kind of, that was sort of my thing, but like, you know, we listened to a lot of like Sun Ra and we Daniel Johnston. I remember who, who since I kind of sort of became a household name, but was this weird outsider music back then. It was like for, in retrospect, I was like, I've always been really, really, really lucky to be in bands with people who showed me music that I was unfamiliar with that became really important to me. But especially yeah. like to be like 16, 17, 18, when your influences are pretty limited and to be exposed. And that's like a wonderful thing about touring, right? That you just, you do have all this extra time, which can get, you know, oppressively boring sometimes. But then like, it's a real treat to be able to be like, well, our day today is we're driving, but we're going to listen to music for eight hours. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you're doing these long drives in the the States and like everyone's just putting on different music and you're getting exposed to different things. That was like a hugely important experience for me in terms of broadening my horizons in a variety of ways, that band. You were talking about experimental jazz then, and I I read that you played with John Zorn at some point. Uh, That's another, that's another bit from the bio. That's, uh, I'll say like, that's a, so, so so I was, I I mean, John Zorn is a true hero of mine. Yeah, and mine too. When I was in high school, like, just like all his Naked City records and yeah. then Masada and, and just that whole scene. Like I, oh my God, like that was probably the reason more than anything I wanted to and eventually did move to New York. Like that whole oh, knitting factory that. scene. Yeah. That yeah. knitting factory scene with like John Zorn and Bill Frizzell and Joey Barron. Just like, it's just like, that is the world I wanted to be a part of. Yeah. I have never been asked by John Zorn to play in any of the ensembles or anything, but he, he, he ran this. <laughs> no, I wish, I wish <laughs> he, he ran um, a club for a long time. I don't think it's still around or if it is, it, I, it moved, but the stone, do you know the stone, which was this wonderful club in New York that would do, it was every month would be curated by a different musician. He'd invite a musician to curate, Then that musician would inevitably perform a bunch of shows on, you know, with his or her ensembles, but would also invite other people. And then at the end of every month would be like a jam session that John Zorn would be involved in. And he would occasionally bring people, but, but so I would, I I played a couple months. I I was never, I never curated my own month at the stone, but I played a bunch of shows, including with my own groups at the stone as part of other people's curation and then, like, I, I got to do a, a few, couple, couple, few of those jam sessions that John Zorn was at, which was, which was a was life that? highlight for me. It was just, because yeah. I mean, that is like, it's funny. It's like, once you experience them as an adult, you realize, like, how casual and, you know, un, unimportant they are, and, and, which doesn't mean they're not important. They're just like, these casual things, these, I, 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 
I'm, I'm kind of babbling, but like, I literally could not imagine anything bigger in my life when I was like 17 than a jam session with John Zorn. Like yeah. that to me was like a presidential state of the union address. Like, I'm not kidding. Like that was like yeah. the, it, that seemed like the most capital I important thing that would ever happen to me. I know that yeah. sounds insane, but like, that's like, I just like, that would be the, the, the best thing. And then when you're, you know, 28 or whatever, and you do it. You just realize like, oh, it's just a bunch of dudes hanging out, a bunch of people hanging out in a room, you know, and just yeah. like, okay, let's start I completely understand that because like, even as like a classical cellist at music college studying, when we, we studied John Zorn's music and like, I felt like it totally opened my eyes and we watched some of the videos of him doing these kind of free improvisation sessions with the cards that he was holding up. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, it blew our that. minds, like, as very, you know, it was completely new to me. And that, yeah. I, I just think... He's awesome. So, yeah. He, he's amazing. And also, especially, like, I feel like he's underrated as a sax player. He was, his, he, he was really important to me. Speci- I mean, I, everything you're saying, I totally agree with. And fundamentally, like, he's this really inspirational composer and creator of music and sort of creator of musical worlds. But he's also an amazing alto sax player. And especially, like, as I got older and, again, more interested in timbre and really wanted to get my saxophone sound be something very personal like his saxophone sound is one of the all-time great sax sounds it, it really yeah. is like he doesn't get enough credit for that but he really has a tone on that instrument that's unlike anyone that's great and then unlike anyone else's now another name in your biography uh is liza minnelli <laughs> that yes. was, we have to ask about that okay that was an amazing show um brief digression to like in terms of where after the ska band what happened i finished college moved to new york and just wanted to play and that's where i met kelly but i just was like this goes along in terms of like how you know when you're like how you became the musician you became or how you got to where you got to or how you joined these bands i just was like i've always been a very like passionate player of music and someone who loved music and i just like moved to New York and just tried to like play as much as possible as with as many people as possible. I did not care about getting paid all the time. I just wanted like, I just, it was like, even if I wasn't getting paid, if I liked the music, I'd do it, you know, just cause I, it was fun for me. It was relaxing. Right. And so I ended up playing in all these weird, getting sort of like experience and contacts and then more experience in all these weird, often non-overlapping worlds. So I was playing in bands I was doing like a little bit of free improv stuff. I was playing in bands, which is how I met Kelly. And then I started doing a lot of like sort of queer performance art, cabaret world stuff. Um, Actually, Kelly was involved in that too, to a degree, because we were in this sort of cabaret project, this political cabaret project called the Citizens Band. And that led to other things. But that sort of that world, that's one of the main things I miss now that I, I haven't been in New York for almost eight years. But like, I played a lot with this artist, Taylor Mack, who is phenomenal. If you don't know Taylor's work, I know, yeah. having, knowing, knowing you guys a little bit from the podcast, I guarantee <laughs> you Taylor Mack will blow your mind. Right, I'm writing it down Ta- right now. Taylor's uh, per- performance, this is a digression within a digression, very important, very impressive. <laughs> uh, Taylor, Taylor is, is an artist um, who writes plays and stuff, but also... Taylor's signature work of like the past, I guess now decade, was like um, a 24-hour history of popular music in America. It was a 24-hour show. It's only been performed once consecutively. They've toured it 
Um, and they'll break it up. I think they did perform it in London once, but you break it up into several nights. But the whole point was is every hour was a successive decade of American popular music starting in the 1770s going to the present day. There's 24, 24 decades of American history to this point. So it was like a 24 hour, it's just incredible. And like, I got to be a part of that. Anyway, like I said, all this amazing, it's a really vibrant scene in New York. Uh, Justin Vivian Bond is an artist I performed a little bit with. These really incredible artists. And through that, um, actually through Justin Vivian Bond, I met this musical director named Lance Horn, who's fantastic, a pianist and music director. Um, and Lance does a lot of stuff in that sort of cabaret world, um, including he's the music director for Alan Cumming. Um, oh, wicked, yeah. And then uh, Alan was doing, somehow this show came about, oh, what year was this? I think this was about 2012, 2012, 2013. I was doing David Byrne at the time, so somewhere around there. Some promoter convinced Liza Minnelli to do a show with Alan, or Alan convinced Liza. I don't know how it came about, but it was two nights at Town Hall. Liza Minnelli and Alan Cumming do the music of Cabaret. And it was just wow. like, I am fortunate enough <laughs> to have played some pretty like high energy shows in my life. Like the first Beirut tour was insane. There was just like, we were riding this wave of sort of internet buzz and the crowds were just electric. Some war on drugs shows have just been like huge, like, you know, the first show when the album comes out, just like hugely packed and throbbing with energy. I have never experienced anything. And I, I mean, this is, I, I'm not exaggerating anything like the energy as when I was on stage at Town Hall, and as you could imagine, you know, band starts, Alan Cumming comes out, huge reaction for Alan. He's phenomenal, right? Yeah. Does the thing, and then it's like, ladies and gentlemen, Liza Minnelli. And when Liza Minnelli walked on stage, I'm, holy shit, especially the first night, because <laughs> tickets sold out in like 20 <laughs> seconds for the first yeah. night. It, I mean, I'm not kidding. When I was terrified. It was like, you know, it was like Beatles, like you hear about the Beatles being scared and like, you know, by some, yeah. it was literally like, wow. Like these people <laughs> are psyched. Like it was, it was crazy. They yelled for like five minutes, but yeah, Lance, the way that show happened, when that show happened, Lance sort of brought a band, like I hadn't played with Alan Cumming before. I don't think he sort of had a small ensemble, but I play a lot of instruments and he thought that would be cool. And he was like, why don't you join us and sort of augment us? And then Liza Minnelli had her band and we sort of became this smush of two bands. That was really, really incredible. Liza Minnelli's band were all, they're, they're like, like the A-level Broadway players. They were just yeah. incredible. Like everyone and like the other players in the Alan Cumming band too were just phenomenal. But that was wild. And again, like, I get to sort of, I feel, always feel like an interloper. Like I'm sort of going between these world musical worlds. And like at the time I was like, well, this isn't going to happen again in my life. Like I am not going to be touring with Liza Minnelli or something. And it was just, it was super fun. It was super crazy. And how was she? How was she as a person? Did you get to interact with her after? She was, I mean, she was perfectly pleasant. She definitely, it was a nice contrast with David. Because David is a <laughs> member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you know, like this hugely famous yeah. signature artist of the 20th century. But, you know, he's just hanging out. 
He's like, you know, yeah. he's just in your dressing room making small talk and he just wants to wants to hang. He's just an incredibly personable guy. Liza was more of the like even in rehearsals like there were there were people like her people were there. Yeah. I will say it was it was pretty incredible to see. I'm trying to figure out how to tell the story like politically. Like um <laughs> she she wasn't in great shape, I would say. Like I I, I didn't okay. get the sense like she was performing a lot or regularly perform. I don't know what her regular performance schedule is, but you know, but she has that like performer thing. She, I mean, she's Liza Minnelli too. Yeah. She's like not just a performer. She's like an all time great performer. And even at rehearsal, like she sort of be sitting like slumped over in a chair and you'd be like, is she awake? Like, you know, like, and then it would be like, <laughs> you know, one, two, a one, two, three, four, boom. Out of the chair, hands in the air, you know, doing it like doing, you know, full energy, full volume, you know, and then the song would end, da, 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 bah, collapse into the chair, you know, like sort of just like, oh, yeah. but like yeah. she really was like, when she was on, she was on. And that's um, amazing. There is another story I feel like I should tell for that show. This is like a four musicians story. I kind of, I was brought in again as like this like weird, you know, oh, I'm sure it was partially for like the visual aspect of it, but I had, like like had this sea of instruments around me that I was playing. You know, on ones I played a little banjo, a little trumpet, a little sax, a little clarinet, a little accordion. He, Lance asked if I could play accordion. I can play right hand accordion. I can't do the whole you know two hand yeah. coordination lead the band yeah. thing. But I was like, yeah, I've done that. I've played a fair amount of that accordion in my life. So he's like, yeah, great. We'll use accordion on one song. And this one song happened to be, and like uh, the Liza's band leader, oh, I forget his name, Billy, I think, is this like famously great music director and arranger. And a lot of the arrangements were him. They're very detailed arrangements. It was, it was um, a lot of rehearsals for these two nights. And the one accordion part was one of these things where, you know, I was silent for most of the song. And then there's a break and I had this like very fast, 16, 30 second note run, you know, down a scale, you know, some weird scale, you know, and I was very nervous about that. It was like a very exposed moment. I was not normal. And, you know, the way accordion works, if you don't put air through the bellows, you can play the keys silently, right? You can maybe yeah, see yeah. where this is going. So the, <laughs> the show, there was a lot of banter in between the songs. That was a big part of the show. You know, Liza being Liza, Allen being Allen. It was fantastic. But before the song in question, they were doing their thing on stage, you know, in the center of the stage. And I was, we were on stage. We weren't in the pit and I was sort of off to the, the band was off to the side. And I had the accordion on and I was just like running that line, just like running. Okay, I got this, I got this, I got this. And something must have happened where my left hand slipped. And like while I was on the high note, she was in the middle of a line. My accordion just went <laughs> like this really high squeak. <laughs> <laughs> and she looked over and she, I felt so bad. She thought it was the alto sax player. I guess it was so high who was sitting right behind me and who was her musician. <laughs> she looked over at him with this death stare. Like I, she was just like in the middle, I like spotlight on her, just like. <laughs> And I was just like, oh, I feel terrible. Uh, okay, let's just, let's just go on. <laughs> let's just go on. 
I feel uh, like the accordion has uh, on this podcast had a, a fair amount of slack. It, yeah, it does, doesn't it? It yeah, comes back time and again. It does. Nobody loves their accordion. I, I will say I love my accordion. I'm just oh, terrible good. at it. <laughs> I was going to talk about my accordion there. I've got, oh, God, I've got I an accordion. You've got which one. Yeah. Somewhere, over the, somewhere behind me, but. Um, yeah, I need to get it fixed, but I'm oh, really the, excited. I think you it's should play it on here thing. at some point. I'm looking yeah. forward to seeing. I'm looking to forward to that being, was the thing I, yeah. I just remember from the um, the Kelly interview because he, well, I was talking about, oh, I want to write some stuff or whatever, and and he he said, well, you know, you could just like just pick a few random images. You know, you could just play a a, a Glockenspiel <laughs> uh, and and an accordion and make a song. And then it cut like to the next set. So I was like, well, obviously I've got to write a jingle um, with those <laughs> That's instruments. That's my favourite one ever. So I, yeah. <laughs> so I did. But oh. it, it took me ages. <laughs> it took me like, I, I then hilarious. spent like two hours digressing, <laughs> ma- making this jingle. Uh, I had to make it just so it sounded like I wasn't taking the piss out of Beirut or something. <laughs> well, I didn't want it to sound. With that palette, <laughs> I mean, that's like the thing. Trumpet glockenspiel and... <laughs> An accordion is going to be tough to not sound like a little I know, so reference. It, it was a hard thing to get right, and I, I don't know if I did it, but it was fun. Yeah, it's um, cracking. I but, like that uh, one. Good. I do want to get my accordion sorted and tuned. They're expensive. That's the thing. They're expensive yeah. to maintain. I, I, I it must be. I. It's actually funny. I. So my daughter is getting to the age where we're going to start our own music lessons, and I've always had this yeah. idea of starting her on accordion, actually, um, because yeah. the. So so the most versatile musician, I know he's actually not. He never became a professional musician. I know him from college, and now he like runs a genetics lab. At a, yeah, wow. he's a really really smart guy but um uh he uh he's just a, he, for he could really pick up any instrument and when we were 18 19 pick up any instrument and sound great on it and i once asked him like how did you get so versatile and he said he grew up in this sort of small town in new england where i guess i don't know if there was a big german immigrant community or what, for whatever reason all the kids in that town started on accordion or at least he started on accordion and he was like accordion really gives you like this foundation in music that's awesome because you're thinking about from a very young age, you're thinking about music in all these different and parallel ways. You're doing the keyboard, you're doing bass notes, the buttons are arranged in a circle of fifths, you know? So you're thinking about from a very young age, like chord theory and stuff in a way that feels natural. You're doing the rhythm of it with the pumping. So I've always been like, Oh, that's, that'd be fun to try to start my daughter on just to give her, you know, a little foundation. But I just called an accordion teacher and I mentioned that I have an accordion. He was like, Oh, bring your accordion bike. We'll see if we can fix it up. And it's not going to be cheap. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's just this little, I have this little nine, you know, I got on Craigslist for $90 like 15 years ago or something. You guys won a Grammy, didn't you? In, in 20, was it 2017, 2018? I think, I think the I think it was officially a 2018 Grammy. Okay, I just was wondering if you went to the Grammys, and I was wondering if you had Grammys tales. No, I have no Grammys tales. We were (laughs) we were in we're actually on tour in Australia and New Zealand, and there was because we had been nominated. There was talk of like, do you guys want to like? 
cancel the tour and or, or like or cancel some shows and like fly home and go to the Grammys. And we thought it was preposterous that we would. We thought we. I'm not. There's no false modesty. Like we thought there was zero chance we were winning. I remember like. I think Metallica was nominated the same year and they weirdly have it with the category was like best rock album. And yeah. I think like they had never won best rock album. I think that they've won other Grammys, but never that category. So like all the odds makers were like, well, it's obviously going to be Metallica. Like it's their time. And even beyond that, we were like the lowest. We were just, you know, with this indie band, like, I don't know. <laughs> um, so we thought it was preposterous. We also just didn't like the idea of, canceling shows to go to an award ceremony or something so yeah. we, were, we were just like whatever we, we really didn't think that and then like we because of the time difference i forget what i must have been early in the morning i don't remember but i do remember like we all woke up or got back to our rooms or something to like a litany of texts on our phone and we were like what and like i remember us all texting each other like did this actually happen? So yeah, we were on the other side of the world, literally. No stories other than just being in our hotels completely flabbergasted that we'd won. Like, oh, genu- that's great. Genu- that's, genuinely stunned. That's a very cool way to find out, you know. Yeah. It's excellent. Actually yeah. doing what, you know, what you were winning for. Fantastic. Yeah, there, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Do you think that winning a Grammy will change anything or open any other doors or give you a new audience? or Who knows? I don't think so i mean it's it it helps in the most superficial context again this is no false modesty it like but it really is like it's not something that musicians really care about or you know like you know it's not like anyone of substance is going to be like oh well this band is good now that they've won a grammy i can listen yeah yeah you know like that's not but it does you know it, it it helps with like the bio you know and i i'm i can't um imagine that i'd work this way but i bet it's helped me get at least in the room on some film score stuff it's like oh he's grammy winning oh oh let's have a conversation with him then you know which i I, again it's it's just a little silly it's it's and this sounds funny but i really mean this it's awesome for the parents you know what i mean like like you know for their friends they can be like he won a grammy and that sounds like yeah back up it matters the most for people who are less involved with the day-to-day world of music, which is nice. You know, it's just like, it's... It's much nice... cooler for your parents to tell people than say, like, winning your bronze life-saving award, isn't it? You know? <laughs> it's good. It's yeah. a big step up from that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I never even came close to that, so, yeah. Incredibly, I got mine, and I really don't think that I could tread water for as long as they said I did, but, you know, great. <laughs> I've, been a, I've always been a terrible swimmer. So, yeah, that, that was never something my mom could brag about anyway, but, yeah. No, I know, I know, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Uh, do you have an actual Grammy, like... I do. In it's your, In your toilet, or...? No, it's actually... It, it's a, you got it over there? It's, <gasps> on the, it's on the wall. It's like, I just oh. keep, it hid, I keep it hidden in my studio. It's, it, it, oh. it was actually funny, the... Uh, this is a silly little story, but playdates have started again, you know? And like yeah. my daughter yeah. had her first playdate at our house with a friend yesterday since the pandemic started. And they, he came over, he's a s- sweet kid from her preschool. They were having fun. Then they came out to my studio, you know, we're playing with instruments, which is really fun. And his parents were here too. And, you know, I have a lot of toys and he just kept pointing at things like, what's that? Can I play that? What's that? What's that? And then he like... <laughs> He, he 
pointed at the Grammy as like, what's that answer? Because it looks like it has the horn, you know, it has like the yeah, gramophone yeah. horn. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, what's that? And I was like, oh, that that's nothing. He's like, it looks like an instrument. I want to play that. And like, I was like, it's a statue. And his parents were like, oh, what is that over there? And I like, it, it seemed like this setup for me, like showing off my Grammy. I was like, oh, that's my Grammy he's pointing to, which was funny. But they were like, oh, you know. <laughs> Uh, uh, this old thing. Yeah. yeah this old, no, I mean, but again, I, like, am I grateful? We won, like, for sure. And again, it, it's nice, and I feel very fortunate and lucky to be able to say I'm a Grammy winner. But we also, I mean, and also, we all say in the band that it's Adam's Grammy. Like, I, I like to think that I and all the other members of the band contributed in unique ways to that album that made it what it was and whatever that contributed it to its winning. But without Adam, there. I would not have a Grammy. It's it's his Grammy, you know, for sure. Like, without me, he might still have a Grammy. Without him, zero chance I would have a Grammy, so. <laughs> <laughs> but as you say, a great tour of local fairs. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> we'll have a great tour of local state fairs in, in <laughs> 2029. John, ah, oh, great. Thank you so much, John. That was genuinely really great. Really enjoyed that. Yeah, you see what we mean? We couldn't possibly leave any of that out. Like, no. You know, Liza Minnelli stories, John Zorn. He's like one of my total heroes from music college days. So, you know. Yeah. Now, I did not know who John Zorn was. Did you not? That's, that's a massive gap in my knowledge, isn't it? You, well, you, you might be able to tell because I didn't say anything in that <laughs> section. <laughs> it's usually me, isn't it? It's the dead giveaway. <laughs> yeah, we swapped, we swapped roles then, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, no. I know. I think it filled me with joy that finally there was something I knew about that was I just cool. Had a blank expression on my face. <laughs> no. Um, but have you listened to any of his stuff? No. No. Okay. It's definitely worth a listen. He's amazing and just quite an inspiring kind of guy. So there you go. Plug for him. Okay. He doesn't I, need to plug. I, did watch, I watched a clip of Taylor Mac. Oh, I do not know Taylor Mac. That's who John mentioned, like a New York playwright. Yes. Amazing person, creative person. Yeah, I haven't listened look, to him look, yet. Look them up again because I don't want to mess this up. TaylorMac.org. They've got a .org. God, big, big stuff. Big I, stuff. In fact, I did see Taylor Mac was the recipient of the Genius Prize. Have you seen that? What? It's not called the Genius Prize. Is it? The Genius. <laughs> um, the Genius. Oh, I need to get this right. <laughs> I was trying Hold to think. Genius. I was thinking Nobel genius Prize. Genius Grant. The Genius the Grant Nobel Prize. When you said the Genius Grant, a Genius Prize, oh, no, is that, no. oh, what you mean the Nobel Prize? For... Yeah. <laughs> no, the Genius Grant. It's oh. like a MacArthur Foundation. Yeah. I know that that um, Mac, Mac oh, what's it called? A ukulele. What's that instrument called? John probably plays it. The, the um, it's like a guitar. Ma- mandolin. Mandolin. Who's yeah. that mandolin player? He won it. Oh, oh my so stuff is going, going again. Into, I've gone into a blooming uh, Wikipedia hole. Oh, have you? <laughs> Who is that man? Mandolin player. I'll find out. Sting. <laughs> <laughs> Not Sting. No. Oh, listen, the mm. listeners at home are going, 
Uh. Oh, for God's sakes. Why don't you Genius know who it is? Prize. Mandolin. Mandolin. What have you got? Oh, I got it. I got it. Before, before the insert. What? Chris Teal. Chris Teal. Okay. No. No. <laughs> well, the Genius Prize yeah. is this thing where you just get given a loads of money, loads of money yeah. to just do what you want with it. Oh. And they just say, hey, you're obviously a clever guy. Wow. Do what you want. That's super cool. I think it's half a million pounds. Wowzers. Well, anyway, that... Um, and he won that. Great. Yes. <laughs> Not he. <laughs> not he. It's not Taylor Mac is not a he. Oh, I just saw here uh, they use the, they. the term the name Judy oh. as a gender pronoun. Okay, right. Judy. Okay, apologies. I think these are quite. This is quite an interesting person to check out. Yeah, I definitely, definitely will. It's definitely slightly off topic from what we've. What we were, <laughs> I was going to say this is about. like a John Natchez style digression. I like it. He did say he did say check this person. Yeah, out. You'd love it. Oh, I totally will. Straight after this, once I I've love, eaten. I love that Taylor Mac. Their pronoun, yeah, is Judy. It's Ju- it's right. Okay, it's so not he, it's not they. She they. It's it's Judy. Judy. Lowercase. That is so Lowercase. excellent. <laughs> so I wonder good. if I I wonder if I could become that as well. I you think it sounds brilliant. But I wonder what Judy I mean what what does Judy entail? Judy, playwright, actor, singer, songwriter, performance artist, director, and producer. Judy is a MacArthur Fellow, that's the genius thing. A Tony Award nomination, a Pulitzer Prize, finalist citation, the Kennedy Prize, a NY Drama Critics Circle Award, a Doris Duke Performing Artist Award, a Guggenheim. The Herb Alpert in Theatre, the Booth Award, the Peter Zeisler Memorial Award, the Helen Merrill Playwriting Award, two Bessies, two OBs, two Helpmans, and an Ethel Eichelberger Award. Oh, well done. I mean, well done for getting through that list. <laughs> wow, so, Judy is amazing. Yeah, we should get, get Judy on. Yeah, 100%. That's Taylor Mac there. So, right. Anyway, that was yeah. definitely digression, but yeah, it I think was. it's in keeping mm. with John. Yeah. He loves a good digression. Yes, he does. Yeah. Now, I remember mm. saying when we got off the phone, it was not the phone, is it? Uh, the, the, internet, <laughs> the wireless. That phone. Yeah. Yes. I remember saying, like, that was exactly the kind of interview I imagined we would do. Not really an interview, is it? A conversation. Yeah. Exactly the sort of thing I wanted to do when we started the podcast. Yeah. Absolutely. It was the right mix of everything. He was lovely. Yeah. Like really interesting. Obviously really talented. A nice guy. Yeah. And it was a really relaxed chat. Yeah. And it had a bit of absolutely everything in there. There was some technical yeah. talk, but there was also some great lighthearted anecdotes. And yeah, he was just so easy to talk to. Bearing in mind yeah. we'd not met before. It was great, <laughs> wasn't it? Yeah. I hope he will come and see us in London. I think Yeah, he, I hope so. Yeah. I really, yeah, would really love to go and see the war on drugs. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So that's that's, that's John. John. Yeah. That's him done, done and dusted. Yeah. The double um, is complete. Check out his many film scores. Yeah. There's some links to that down below and his website. Yep. He's got all sorts of stuff on there to, to have a look at. Listen to the war on drugs. That's right. There's a link to live drugs work. there. 
Yes. Life Drugs. Yeah, yeah. that's a great album, that. It is. It is. Yeah. So, yeah. He was brilliant. So, Thanks, John. Thanks, John. <laughs> yes. I feel like you want to uh, share some... Uh, some, some news. Some tales and news. I just from your feel life. like I like no, I, I the thing is that I've complained all the way through these intros and outros about my stomach grumbling. And I'll tell you for why. It's because because I decided last week to take myself in hand and get healthy and fit, basically. And that has included dietary changes. And my stomach is really complaining about this. But anyway. Decided to start exercising again properly. I wanged on about that last year a lot and, you know, fallen off the wagon massively. <laughs> but back yeah. on, back on now. Even yeah. in that flipping biblical rain the other day, I ran yeah. out in that. Yeah. Oh, great. That's good. Yeah. And you've well, done the same, haven't you? We've come yeah. to this decision, haven't we, both of us? Yeah. <laughs> we, we made a pact the other day. We Was did. that on Monday? Last yes. week, yes, we made a little pinky promise. Yeah, and, and we're gonna we'll say it now, right? Yeah, to yeah. to, to oh, it's a really noisy car going by. I could hear that. Could came, you hear that? Came through my right ear. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh, so just to give what's the word so, so that you, you kind of set it out in stone. Yeah. So that you, um, well, the listener, now we're, we're telling you now we are gonna get fit and healthy yeah and we're gonna look good and we're gonna there. we're gonna be great people yeah we're gonna get some photos done aren't we yes this is what's at the crux of it <laughs> I did it's, it's from vanity it is it's such vanity, vanity isn't it yeah. it yeah. really is but that's good like i need motivation we're gonna get some photos done yeah for this podcast <laughs> yes we, we are haven't booked it yet because we we're too scared <laughs> then it has to happen it does and it's been yeah. months that we've said oh we should do that and we've gone i don't know i need a haircut oh and yeah. could do with losing Wait some my weight hair grows back all these things we've put in the way and we'll get to the age of i don't know 65 and still be saying i'll still be saying the same thing just give me another month yeah 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 well um yeah so we've said mid-july haven't we yes if anyone is out there that runs or is a photo company that does photos, publicity photos. Yeah. If you fancy uh, hooking up. Drop us a line. We'll obviously pay money. Yeah. Real but, money. Um, we'll promote you on the show if you want If you want promoting. Do have a lot of listeners. That's true. Do, <laughs> do we? I, I, I said it convincingly enough. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's true. That's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. A lot, a lot of listeners. So but just putting it out there, mum, if you're into photography. Did your mum do photography? No, but I was talking about our listening base. And if oh, really? Trying to yeah. think, you know, one of our mums. I would say, though, out of our audience. Yes. If they are musicians, probably, so probably 80, 90%. Yes. Are musicians. So... All of them will need publicity photos. That's very true. So, you know, uh, we could come to some arrangement. <laughs> yeah. If not, we'll just get in touch with um, some cool people we've seen on Instagram. We have. We have been following various people in an attempt to see people who can make us look really wonderful. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's what we're doing. Uh, no booze mm. for a month. No. How's that going? Fine. Yeah, Good. fine. Good. Good. 
Yeah. No, it yeah. Is, is fine. I, I just needed to snap out of it. Yeah, it is just, a mindset. You need to just go, right, come on. Yeah. Stop that now. Yeah. I know. And um, actually, then you, and then it is, it's just pattern forming, isn't it? That's yeah. it. It's habitual. Yeah, it so yeah, I'm trying to do the same thing. I'm really the, hoping there's no wine tastings coming up. That's going to be hard. I know. That's so tricky, isn't it? With yeah. your your hobby, <laughs> yeah, being drinking. <laughs> no, no, so, but you know, I just have no, to no, start no. spitting. I'll just have to use the spittoon. If you, if you don't know, Verity is like basically a sommelier. Mm, thanks for bringing she's me like, up. That is, she's got kind. a foot in the in the barrel. <laughs> I've got one foot in the barrel. <laughs> one foot in the barrel. But. I've joined a gym. Yes, have you? And you've been? Yeah, and I went, yeah, but it's really close to my house. So Perfect. I think this is going to be good because I can actually just run one minute there oh, to my house. Ideal. I don't have to bother with the showers or anything. I can just just come straight back. Run straight back um, again. Yeah, I can't extend my arms. Uh, <laughs> one of those. Have you been doing the, the weights yeah, then? Yeah, I did the old weights. Oh, well done. Yeah, I've got like the lowest weights, <laughs> yeah. the smallest weights they have. Two baked bean cans. Yeah. That's you all right. Do the confidence, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it's good. We're, we're, it's good. I feel like, yeah, we're getting everything. It's been hard, isn't it, this this year? Because it's because mm. you do fall into those patterns and you're not working. So you're not like, well, I'm not going to drink this week because I'm working. No, exactly. There's, uh, not, there's not been a good enough reason not to have a drink no. and not to just smash a whole packet of Capri's marvellous creations. Oh, my God. Quite. Or 12 cream eggs. <laughs> I went, I did go shopping on an empty stomach the other day and came back with so much stuff that I, I've, I've had to sort of hide away from myself. I've just been giving it to the children. But I was really glad the other day when I, I just sat down, I'd actually poured a bag of tortilla chips out. I was ready to go. I had my dip. And then I had a message from you saying that you'd just been to the gym and I put those tortilla chips back in the bag. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know, I did. I felt, I was like, no, commit. Commit to this. Oh, and I'm glad really for it. Well done. Yeah, yeah. thanks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there right. we are. That's the week. That's, that's the well, news. I might go to the gym now. Really? Oh, well mm. done. Not sure. <laughs> I might do a sure, plank for a for uh, one minute. <laughs> there we go. Do it. That'd yeah, be good. I it is good. That. Oh, come now. I bet you could. Well, I'll try. <laughs> go and try, try that it. after this. Try it. Okay. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Um, thank you for listening, everyone. Um, if you're new to this podcast and you're still listening, that's pretty impressive. Is it because you can't turn Thanks your phone off? Is that why? <laughs> you just can't stop it. Stop, God's sakes. <laughs> but uh, if you've listened before and this is um, one of the many you've listened to, then thank you. And what you could do to really help us out is just share this podcast somehow. Yes. Tell Tell your friends tell your social media buddies and give us a review on iTunes for five stars. Oh, that would be lovely. Yeah. Five stars. No, nothing less. No, don't bother with any don't of the others. Otherwise. No. But, um, um, yeah. Yeah. Have a great time this week. Yes, Hope do. such bad. It's been rubbish weather in London. Really rubbish. Um, it's like and, autumn again. Mm, yeah. I know. <clears throat> and uh, come on, England. Yes. I think it's coming home. Third group match, isn't it? Well, 
what do you think? Yeah, it's Czech Republic, isn't it? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Score predictions? Oh, 2-2. Two, 2-2. Two. Two, two. Interesting. I was going to go 2-1 England. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be a tough one. Yeah, it is. But I think they'll do it. Yeah. But also, come on, Wales. And, and Scotland. Come on, Scotland. Dish. No, I hope yeah. they do really well for themselves in that last match, but not quite win. <laughs> yes, me too. Yeah. Oh, I've just wiped out a third of our listenership. <laughs> yes. Uh, well. Right, let's, uh, let's buzz off, shall we? Yeah. Yeah. See you next week. See ya. Bye. Bye. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.